keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. The Feast of St. Therese of Lesseaux. St. Therese expressed a diverse vocations and desires within her soul, including most primarily, she said that she was a Carmelite, a spouse of Jesus and a mother of souls. But she said her heart had a desire to be also a warrior, an apostle, a doctor and a martyr. She longed to do heroic work for Jesus and the church, but she realized that her true vocation was love. She understood that love was the essence of all vocations and that it embraced all times and places, that her vocation was to be love in the heart of the church. Now, St. Therese experienced a martyrdom of desire, longing to do more for the church than that she could physically do in the Carmel. Now, this desire was a form of suffering, a spiritual martyrdom, one might say, because she found fulfillment in offering her sufferings to increase love and charity in the church. Now, St. Therese practiced what became known as the little way, which involved small sacrifices of breaking her own will and performing acts of love and kindness to others. This self-mastery allowed her to maintain peace and serenity, even in the face of suffering and temptations. Now, she emphasized the importance of confidence in God's mercy. And despite her weakness, she relied on God's goodness and confidence that she believed was a key to overcoming the discouragement and self-doubt that was present even in her dark night of the soul. Now, the exterior demeanor of, our, of this wonderful saint showed someone who was calm and serene and yet had great suffering, had seen much, had reflected much, and had an inner self-mastery and trust in God. You could tell that by her eyes, by her mouth, by her cheeks. That's why I kind of despise a lot of these images of St. Therese where she looks like a, uh, she would blush cheeks or she's wearing makeup and a plump red lips. Um, it takes away the aspect of St. Therese as a warrior, as someone who suffered so much at such a young age. Now, she valued small acts of self-mortification and valued these things as sacrifices and sacrifices most importantly out of love of God. She believed that offering one's best efforts to God allowed his justice and love to fill in the gaps. Even if she had committed grave sins, she trusted in God's mercy to transform her imperfections, though it said that she never committed a mortal sin in her life. Now, St. Therese encouraged a strong devotion to the Blessed Virgin and believed in the power of asking Our Lady's intercession and all intentions. And despite her seemingly ordinary life and very unknown during her life, she became a spiritual master. And she was canonized by Pope Pius XI and is considered one of the greatest saints of our modern times. St. Therese of Lesseaux, pray Pray for for us. us. Uh, Joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Adrian. I love St. Therese of Lesseaux. She is uh, just a saint after my heart. You know, that's uh, that's the saint that I took on as my patron. And uh, it's just a wonderful day to meditate upon this this great saint. Like you said, she's a uh, a warrior, you know, someone who suffered uh, so much 
for uh, for great love for God and somebody that we can emulate in every little small thing that we do, you know? Yeah, so true. So true. Yeah, I think the whole Tres Lassu, um view of from most people eh, tends not to be the the most the greatest. It's kind of more very syrupy, very sweet, and it lacks the seriousness that Therese Lassou had. And I think that's the element that I would love for people to reignite, for people to recapture the Therese Lassou, the warrior. Yeah, I love the image of St. Therese Lassou where she had the, where she was uh, wearing a costume of St. Joan of Arc. It really showed her love of France, for one, but love of uh, being a, a fighter for Christ. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. And that's why she became the patroness of the missions, despite the fact that she was in a convent somewhere. Now, at 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about uh, the Vatican responds to the dubia. So this is very interesting. It is very, yeah, I'll just leave it at that for now. It's very interesting. So Pope Francis responds to dubia part one. We're talking about that at 15 past the hour at 30 past the hour. Kyle Clement is going to be on with us to talk about spiritual combat. And in the next hour, Adam Bly will be on with us. We're going to talk about the angels. And plus, we have our fear and trembling game show with prizes from a very special sponsor this week. I mean, it's pretty. Whew, I don't know who it is. Gee, I wonder who. I, whew, I, this person, mysterious, very mysterious. So you'll find out in the next hour. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions, whatever it is that you have going on. We're going to be praying in a special way for the synod on synodality, that God's will be done in the synod, and that it all be converted for the salvation of souls, for the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. I ask for your prayers for my grandfather, who is feeling very bad with his cancer and other problems. Um, so I have prayers for him. Uh, prayers for Rudy, but he gets better from his uh, overcoming his sickness and, and Taylor as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. O Virgin Mary, grant that the recitation of thy rosary may be for me each day, in the midst of my manifold duties, a bond of unity in my actions, a tribute of filial piety, a sweet refreshment and encouraging an encouragement to walk joyfully along the path of duty. Grant above all, O Virgin Mary, that the study of thy fifteen mysteries may form in my soul little by little a luminous atmosphere, pure, strengthening, and fragrant, which may penetrate my understanding, my will, my heart, my memory, my imagination, my whole being. So shall I acquire the habit of praying while I work without the aid of formal prayer, by interior acts of admiration, of supplication, or by aspirations of love. I ask this of thee, O Queen of the Holy Rosary, through St. Dominic, thy son of predilection, the renowned preacher of thy mysteries, and the faithful imitator of thy virtues. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are some of today's breaking news and stories for you. Pirates in the Bay. Now, did you uh, have that on your bingo card for 2023? San Francisco crime wave spreads to the seas. Amid a surge in crime and homelessness, San Francisco now faces the threat of maritime piracy, with bandits descending upon Bay Area ships and making off with cargo and domestic vessels. Much of the pirate activity has plagued the Oakland and Alameda areas. Several marinas have faced raids since the summer. 
Many of the stolen boats ultimately wind up being scuttled at the bottom of the bay. And the FBI sends out a new alert for the public to be aware of violent satanic group targeting vulnerable children online. The group reportedly uses many names, including 676, 764, Cult with a V, Court, Casca, Harm Nation, Leak Society, and H3II. Most groups require prospective members to livestream or upload videos depicting their minor victim harming animals or committing self-harm, suicide, murder, or other acts of violence. The FBI noted that the prime targets of these groups are kids between the ages of 8 and 17, as well as those struggling with gender confusion and depression. Blackmail and threats of doxing victims if they don't comply with the group's requests are commonly used to manipulate and extort minors. And finally, new UN migration chief says private sector is desperate to take migrants despite negative narrative. The head of the UN's migration agency stated that the private sector globally, especially in Europe and North America, is desperate for migration to address labor shortages and fuel innovation within their companies. The new head of the UN's migration agency emphasized that migrants are still needed to fill labor shortages, particularly in the West, in an effort to combat negative perceptions surrounding migrants. Now, those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Back to you, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. Now, this is a very interesting passage because our Lord here goes through the city of the Samaritans, and the Samaritans do not accept him. And then what we see is the sons of thunder respond accordingly. And I think it's very interesting. Now, of course, we start here in verse 51. And it came to pass when the days of his assumption were accomplishing and that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is him going to Jerusalem to be crucified. This is the beginning of his journey. Now, of course, our Lord knows this, but the apostles do not. And this goes over another, another few days. And he sent messengers before his face and going, they entered into a city of Samaritans to prepare for him. So notice here that our Lord sends emissaries before him to try to prepare the way. Uh, we see this most obviously through John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, he's the one who came to announce the coming of the Messiah to prepare a way of the Lord. And the verse 53 says, and they received him not because his face was of one going to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting. Going to Jerusalem, what does that imply? Well, Cornelius Lapide talks about the sacrifice. The sacrifice in Jerusalem, the sacrifice at the temple. But this is not the sacrifice our Lord was going to Jerusalem, Jerusalem for. He was going to Jerusalem for the sacrifice of his very self. That he was a sacrificial victim. He was a lamb that was to be slain. And they received him not because the Samaritans did not get along with the Jews. For the Samaritans set up their own temple in order to have their own sacrifices. And because our Lord appeared to be a Jew, they rejected him. They received him not. So what did the sons of thunder do? In verse 54, it says, And when his disciples, James and John, had seen this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, these, now you can see why they're called the sons of thunder, because they have the zeal for the Lord. Now, here it is a reference to St. Elias, because that's what St. Elias did. 
They show themselves to be indeed sons of thunder, according to Cornelius Lapide. He says here, for with excess of zeal, they would destroy these Samaritans because of their inhospitality and refusal to receive Christ. They remembered how Elijah had destroyed those who had been sent by Ahazai to apprehend him. And they knew that Jesus was mightier than the prophets. And if fire was sent from heaven to protect Elijah from harm and to consume the Jews who had come to take him, how much more deserving of punishment were these Samaritans who had refused to receive the son of God. Now, St. Jerome comments on this saying that they notice that they ask from Christ first permission and to know the will of God that they desire that they be wiped out, but they want to confirm this by first asking God, knowing that it is Christ who is the judge, who has the justice, and has the ability to punish the wicked according to their just deserts. But what does our Lord say? What our Lord says surprises the sons of thunder. It says here in verse 55, In turning, he rebuked him, saying, You know not of what spirit you are. In verse 56, the son of man came not to destroy souls, but to save. And they went into another town. Now, why does this happen? Why does our Lord not wipe out the Samaritans? Well, Cornelius Lapide commenting says, You know not what the manner of spirit you are of. This we must understand the disposition of mind, whether from virtue or from vice. He says, Ye know not what spirit worketh in you. You think you are led by the spirit of God when you are prompted by impatience and the spirit of vengeance. Ye know not what spirit ye are called. Ye know not that ye should be meek and lowly as I, your Lord and master am. So what do we learn here? Our Lord here is telling us to love your enemies and to do good to those who hate you. And this is an example of the saints. For the saints suffer much for the salvation of souls, not because they don't deserve divine punishment, not because they don't deserve divine justice, but because they desire to suffer for the salvation of souls. And our Lord was the same way. He said that he came not to destroy their souls, but to save their souls. Now, how does he do so? By dying on the cross for them. And we see it here whenever it says, Cornelius Lapide points out that after the coming of Christ and after his death, the Samaritans did in fact convert so it was worth it. But to give them an example of how to treat those who do not accept them, or treat them like a publican. Move on. Leave them behind. Keep going. Don't be stopped in the mission of the gospel because some won't hear you. We'll be right back and to talk more about the Senate on Synodality coming up next. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I want a religion that is not so dogmatic? Well, G.K. Chesterton says a religion that is not dogmatic is not a religion. A religion means something that commits a man to some doctrine about the universe. Anyone who believes anything is dogmatic. In fact, Chesterton says a teacher who is not dogmatic is not teaching anything. And if you think about it, a doctor who's not dogmatic is not who you want prescribing medicine or performing surgery. An auto mechanic who's not dogmatic is not going to be able to fix your carburetor. We want professionals to have specific training, but specific training means embracing very specific ideas. And yet we want a religion that is not dogmatic, as if standing before God is less important than repairing our car. 
Want more than a minute? Visit Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray a chaplet. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed the Chaplet of Divine Mercy daily? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. There is an interesting story coming out of Rome. It's being covered by ABC, New York Times, Daily Wire... Catholic Vote, LifeSite News, America Magazine, National Catholic Register, National Catholic Reporter, and so on and so forth. Everybody's talking about both secular and religious. It's that big of a bombshell. I am. I haven't seen anything out of the Vatican get this much publicity in a very long time. So very interesting to see that this is getting so much, so much news. Now, where to even begin? Where to even begin here? So yesterday we talked about the Dubia Cardinals when they presented a Dubia to Pope Francis and then they presented a response to a response of the Dubia to a Pope Francis because Pope Francis actually did respond. Now, at first we didn't get the, the Vatican's response or Pope Francis' response and many people attacked the, the Dubia Cardinals saying, why didn't you publish what Pope Francis said? Well, I mean, it's not his, their right to publish what Pope Francis said. Uh, people are saying that he, they're being deceivious and they're duplicitous for not publishing what Pope Francis said. But it's very clear. They said, look, this is our letter that we published. And so we can share it with others. But we didn't get permission from Pope Francis to publish his his letter. So if he wants to publish it, he can publish it. If he doesn't, well, it was directed to us. So we're not going to share it. Now, people were attacking him for this. But I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And then I think it's perfectly reasonable that Archbishop Fernandez then released Pope Francis's response. And so now we have all the information laid out for us. Now, the other thing that people were saying was that these cardinals should not have made this public. This is a private endeavor that the this is between the cardinals and the pope. And this should not be made public to the people of God. Now, this is also an error. Why? Because the cardinals here are clearly following the methodology set out by Holy Scripture of how to correct fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you got to remember, as cardinals, it's not like you and I submitting dubia to the Pope and then publicly correcting the Pope. The cardinals are the brothers of the, of the Holy Father. They are there to be advisors to the Holy Father. That's the whole purpose of a cardinal. And so they ask this question, what does, our, what does Holy Writ say is the proper way to try to correct somebody who is in error. It says, first, you go to them individually. And I'm sure they've done that. We can't know it, but we know that many people have in the past gone, Bishop Athanasius Snyder for one, you go to them privately and you say, hey, Holy Father, you said X, Y, or Z, and that doesn't seem quite right. And then what does Holy Writ say? Well, if that doesn't work, you bring one or two with you and you correct them again. And so what do the cardinals do? They have five cardinals of the church write a formal dubia and submit it to the Holy Father. They get a response. The response 
was less than clear, and we'll go over that. And they get they ask a second response to try to clarify the clarification. Then there's no answer. More than a month goes by, still no answer. So what then does Holy Writ say you have to do? So if you do not get a correction after bringing two or three or more, you bring it to the church. Now, who is the church? Now, of course, we have the hierarchy of the church, the Holy Father, the bishops, the priest. That's primarily the case. But in this particular circumstance, that has already been done. And so what then does one do? You bring it to the whole church, the people of God. And so that's what they do. The cardinals brought it to you and I. Now, what's interesting to me is that what Robert Bellarmine says about one of one of his opinions on the on deposing a pope says that you have to correct the pope first. It would have to be done by the cardinals. And then he had to be a manifest heretic heretic. And then and only then could a pope be deposed. So that just makes me to have put up a, an eyebrow and think, hmm, I wonder what if that's an element to the ideas that the Cardinals are doing. I suspect not, to be honest. I saw some people speculating about that, and I suspect that's not the case of what they're doing. I suspect they're just trying to follow Holy Writ on the proper mode of correcting a prelate, and namely the highest prelate of the church, the Holy Father. So I think that is the what he's doing here. I think the accusation that they're going to depose Pope Francis, I think is absurd. I, I cannot... In my wildest dreams, imagine Cardinal Burke doing something like that. He has always been a a company man, um, even though he's very conservative, very traditional, does a traditional Latin mass, those kind of things. He's always been a very much a company man. Even whenever he asked questions, he got ignored for uh, almost a decade in his last question, and he's just kept quiet about it since then. And it just shows the kind of person that Cardinal uh, Burke is, a very meek and humble man. So, I don't think that's the case of what they're trying to do. Now, many people, after reading what Pope Francis had to say, you had people on every side. You had Pope explainers coming out saying, no, though what the Holy Father said was, was not bad. It was perfectly fine. The cardinals are overreacting. Then you had other people saying that the Pope is signaling openness to blessings of gay couples and to studying or restudying women's ordination. Now, the question is, what is the right interpretation? We don't have time to read through the entirety of all of it. It was, I think, eight pages long. I've read through it twice, and I've listened to a number of people talk about it to try to get a kind of an overview. But what's telling to me is that you have LifeSite News, National Catholic Register, you have Catholic Vote, all reporting that it is, in fact, the case that the Pope is signaling openness to blessing of gay couples. And then on the other side, you have National Catholic Reporter... And America Magazine saying the same thing. But one group obviously is saying that it's bad, and the other group is saying that it's good that, they're, that he's doing that. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me that at the very least, at the very least, these people who are claiming that it's so clear Pope Francis is not open to gay blessings, he is not open at all to the study of women's ordination, that those people are wrong. Because it's clear that people that are more conservative... And people who are more on the left both see this as being open to blessings for gay couples. So at the very, very minimum, the bare minimum, 
you have to say that this is confusing, that this is ambiguous at at best, at absolute best case scenario, case scenario. and it's signaling something that is not clear. And so the question becomes: you have people coming out saying, "Oh well, when it's unclear like this, well, you clearly have to do it in a conservative way. You have to read it a conservative way." This is also not the case. This is not the case. You have to find a pattern of behavior and interpret things through that pattern of behavior. And I think that's very important. Uh, Just think about it in this case. Let's say you have a daughter and your daughter is dating this guy. And the guy is very abusive to your your daughter. And he's, he's just very abusive. You can interpret that however you want and fill in the blanks. And yet... He goes up to her and tells her, oh, I love you. I promise I'm going to take care of you. I'm never going to do it again. Everything is fine. I've never hurt you. And you are like, so do I believe him? Do I believe him when he says that? Well, of course not. Of course you wouldn't believe him. Why? Because he has shown himself to be not telling the truth. He has shown himself to have a pattern of behavior that contradicts the words he's saying. And this is what I was talking about a couple weeks ago when someone asked me why I don't quote the good things that Pope Francis says. And the reason why I don't is because you can quote him saying everything. Yeah, there's a lot of good quotes that he has where he says things that I'm like, oh, yeah, 100%, I agree with. But then a couple paragraphs later, he says something that I'm like, oh, yikes, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that. And so then I'm like, okay, so you have two quotes from Pope Francis, one that can be interpreted in a good way and the other one that can be interpreted in a bad way. So what do you do with that? And that's exactly what Pope Francis' response here was. For example, his response he gave immediately, the first thing he said was, oh, yes, of course, I am totally 100% confirming marriage means a man and a woman. He says that, very clear. And I'm like, okay, praise be to God, that's very good. I 100% agree. But then afterwards, he says, pastoral prudence must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or more persons that do not transmit a mistaken conception of marriage. Because when a blessing is requested, one is expressing a request for help from God, a plea to be able to live better, a trust in a father who can help us to live better. This is in the same context of we're talking about, about homosexuality. So he's saying, well, I don't support gay marriage, but gay blessings, well, pastoral prudence. And so now some people are saying, well, clearly he doesn't mean gay blessings. He's just talking about pastoral prudence on whether or not we should bless people, generally speaking. But the context clearly shows he's talking about gay marriage. So now, of course, you can quote him saying he does not support gay marriage. But he's saying there are other forms of unions. Now, the biggest problem that we have here is the problem of confession. He says that just Presenting yourself for confession can, in fact, in fact, be an expression of repentance. But the Council of Trent actually says the exact opposite of that. The Council of Trent says that just presenting yourself to confession does not express repentance. That's very important. That's very important because if you're not repentant of your sin, the sacrament's invalid. You have to have contrition. It can be imperfect contrition, but you have to have contrition. You have to have the intention of not committing the sin again. So if you're living in adultery and you go to confession for it, but you have no intention of moving out with your adulterous relationship, you're cohabitating, 
then you can't present yourself to her communion. You're, the sacrament of confession was invalid. This is a very important thing to keep in mind. This is very, very big deal. So I want to play this a short clip for you. And we'll just play this right quick. As soon as you're ready, Taylor, you just launch it. If this priest... So this who is, amendment on the ballot in November, if somebody votes in favor of it, they put their eternal salvation at risk. If someone votes in favor of that amendment, they put their eternal salvation at risk. They risk hearing Jesus saying Judgment Day, I was a preborn child and you refused to protect me. Or I was a desperate woman and you refused to put obstacles to my doing the unthinkable. Or I was a confused child and you empowered me to destroy my life by opening the path to being transgendered. Or I was a parent of a confused child and you set up my child to destroy his life by removing protections from being, his being transgendered without my knowledge or consent and it destroyed my life and the life of my whole family. Father Bednar actually has a reflection in our bulletin this weekend. And so we'll and pause the it there. Reflections and <laughs> this is something that I think was very beautiful because the priest was speaking clearly. He spoke very clearly very precisely about a controversial issue about transgenderism, about abortion. He spoke very clearly and that is what charity is. That's what charity is to speak clearly. It is not charitable to be confusing. It is not charitable to beat around the bush. It is not charitable to try to use uh, flowery language to try to ease in hard truths. You have to try to give the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It has to be the case. This is the actions of our Lord. These are the actions of the saints. And these are the actions of this priest who is defending life. So let's pray for the synod that God's will be done at the synod and that the devil be squashed. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say... Christians have committed some of the worst atrocities in history, far worse than the supposed savages and heathens that they converted to Christianity. Well, G.K. Chesterton says, It is very right to rebuke our religion for falling short of our own standards and ideals. But it's absurd to pretend that Christianity fell lower than other religions that profess the very opposite standards and ideals. In other words, the savages and heathens have had some pretty savage and heathen ideas and practices from minor maltreatment all the way to human sacrifice. Chesterton says the Christian has not been worse than the heathen in an absolute sense. The Christian is only worse because it is his business to be better. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to meditate on Christ's passion. Wouldn't it be great if everyone meditated daily on our Lord's passion? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Maria Carlos, and here are more breaking news and stories for you. Mexico's president says that 10,000 migrants a day head to the U.S. border. Lopez Obrador seemed to join Colombian President Gustavo Petro 
In blaming the border crisis on U.S. sanctions on countries like Venezuela and Cuba, whose citizens make up a large part of the migrant flow. Experts say that economic mismanagement and political repression are likely to blame for the tide of immigrants leaving those countries. And the Marine Corps relaxes the uniform standards. The U.S. Marine Corps is expanding its criteria for allowed uniforms due to a reported shortage in traditional camouflage. The Marine's uh, newly installed commandant, General Eric Smith, stated that the problem will continue until the fall of 2024, citing a backlog that has been created after COVID. Those were all of your holy. Uh, those were all of your headlines uh, this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Back to you, Adrian. Those are all your headline efforts. Holy headlines and holy headlines. <laughs> Got it. Clear. Uh, someone is still ill. Please pray for Rudy. He's uh, recovering from. Uh, actually, do we know what you're sick with? No, it's a mystery virus, uh, never before seen on the face of the planet. Uh, urgent care couldn't detect it. Hmm. It was not detected by any tests. So uh, I don't know. So it could be. Dying. Could it's be probably the plague. It could be Ebola. It could be something to do with that mystical experience I had meditating on death uh, on my vacation. I don't know. It could be Rocky Mountain virus. That's probably what it is. Could be. Did you uh, perhaps um, eat something weird while you're there? Like maybe a, a monkey brain or something like that? No, nothing. No. Nothing of the sort. Mm. I mean, I you know I had a had a few uh, you know little field rats and things like that. But, I mean, you everybody has those, right? Hunting them with slingshots. <laughs> Chipmunks. Chipmunks. It's delicious. Yum. No, uh, no. Probably not a lot of meat, actually. That probably would not be that delicious. No, no. it's mostly skin. Yeah, that wouldn't be very good. I'll pass on that one. Uh, anyway, on a completely separate note, <laughs> a hard transition out of that, uh, Kyle Clement is a acclaimed speaker for Men of Christ, of Christ Conference, Pope Leo Thirteenth Institute, Catholics in Apostleship. He's also a part of Faith Mission Operatives and Libra Cristo. Mr. Clement is also the case facilitator and administrator for Father Chad Ripperger's Societas Matris de la Rosa May. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Clement. Good morning. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Um, it's very interesting. I was actually at the Spiritual Warfare Conference in Austin uh, this last weekend, and I heard you speaking about spiritual combat, and I was very impressed uh, with your with your conference and i was like thinking this is something that everybody needs to hear but very few people know about it so tell me let's start with this the spiritual combat uh, what do we mean by that because clearly we don't mean uh taking up physical swords and shields and and running into battle so what do we mean by spiritual combat so spiritual combat is um contention or a contending uh, a demacatio, if you will, a struggle on the spiritual level. St. Paul speaks about this directly when he says uh, the spirit and the flesh are opposed. St. Thomas talks about this in his Thomistic psychology when he talks about the lower faculties, um, emotion, memory, the desires, the various appetites and instinct, militating uh, oftentimes against the desires of the intellect and the will, which are faculties that are reserved to the soul desiring union with God. And so that is the combat on a, in a microcosm. Uh, on a macro scale, uh, it is the church against the culture. It is uh, the church bearing witness to Christ's truth, morality, doing the right thing, etc., desiring sanctity, 
and society's hedonistic bent on pleasure for the self and placing the self in the primary position. Now, what does Scripture mean when it says that we are contending not with flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities? Uh, that comes up many times, and I'm like, yeah, of course, we're, we always are at spiritual combat, but at the same time, I'm thinking, well, sometimes sometimes it is flesh, flesh and blood, no? Well, the, the flesh and blood is simply a manifestation of that, uh, which is a greater presence in the spiritual. And one of the adages uh, or axioms, if you will, is whatever is ha- whatever happens here on the earth in tangible form in flesh and blood has already happened in the spiritual realm. Lucifer's fall preceded man's fall. And so the spiritual combat, if you will, or the contention um the ancient contention starts with the apostasy of angels uh, and who fall and then become demons. This is opposition to God's holy will. That's very interesting. Now, what are the, you mentioned in your talk about some uh, principles of spiritual combat. Uh, What are these principles that people should know and be familiar with? So I think that um, from an operative principle standpoint, Affliction by the diabolical is a form of relationship, and the best form of relationship that one could uh, compare it to is a domestic violence relationship, whereby two creatures are joined by a common interest, a common goal, common language, etc., maybe admiration, maybe lack activities, but they are joined, and then at some point, uh, one of the parties decides that where the relationship is going is not good for them. And so it's not good for them in a, in a spiritual sense, in a salvific sense. And so they seek to distance. It is that point that the other party becomes abusive. And so that is, um, that's a good example or a way to describe diabolic relationship with the diabolical. So one of the universal principles is it is relational and it will be based on on a psychological compatibility between the fallen angel and the fallen human. Now, psychological compatibility, some people may have never heard of this term, especially in relationship with demons. I mean, that sounds like a very uh, scary idea saying that I'm psychologically compatible with a demon. What do you mean by that? We have sinned. Very simply. And so sin is a departure from God's holy will. It's a departure from right order. It's a departure um, from that which is good. And so when we pursue that other path, when we sin, when we're unfaithful to God, in that act, we become psychologically compatible with the demon, meaning we, there's, a, there's a simpatico communication channel that is opened, essentially. Now, to the extent that it's opened and, and uh, persisted in, there becomes the depth of the relationship. Now, not everybody who sins, and you kind of hint at this uh, when you say the depth of relationship, but not everyone who sins gets possessed, and no, nor should we, we think that that's the case. Uh, but so what exactly do you mean by that in terms of uh, the influence of the devil over someone when they sin? So what the demon is looking for is not a single occurrence. He's looking for a pattern, habituated mortal sin, habitual uh, acts which militate against the, the glory of God. It's not he who falls short occasionally. It is he who persists in uh, habitual mortal sin 
or in a self-justification, an elevation of self. But he's looking for that persistent pattern. He's looking for that ongoing um, action that is contrary to God's holy will. So how does one break from that if someone has that psychological compatibility? True conversion, and so God allows it for that purpose, is one recognizes the psychological compatibility or the sin. This is we this is, is addressed directly in uh, the act of contrition, which involves the understanding that my actions have damaged the relationship with God and that there must be a contrition, something that goes beyond mere repentance uh, and regret, but goes all the way into metanoia, movement of the will to not only repair uh, the relationship, but to amend your life and not do it again. And so these elements in contrition are, are, is the formula, if you will, and the act of contrition is the formulaic way of expressing how do I address the psychological compatibility. Another observation is, especially modernly, we are confessing behavior. We're not confessing deviant thoughts, and deviant words. Uh, we only confess the deeds. Unless we get exculpatory and go back to the thoughts um, the, we are, these uh, sins will repeat, these actions will repeat after a short period of trying to amend. And uh, we're often frustrated. Modernly, priests are trained to be counselors, not confessors. And so there is a, uh, there's an emphasis on, on making whatever the discomfort is uh, stop rather than trying to get to the bottom of, okay, why am I feeling shame? Why am I feeling guilt? What are my actions? What are my thought processes that open me, um, open me up to sin? Mr. Clement, uh, I want to pick up on that thread, and I, I just want to maybe get a clarification here. I think that there's a uh, a pretty pretty big connection here that most people aren't seeing, but it's the connection between the psychological and the spiritual. And what you're speaking about right now, when you're talking about the psyche, is uh, you're mentioning that these two things are involved. So I want to I want to pick this up right after the break. We're going to go into a small break right now, and I want to pick this up on the other side. I want to ask a big question right as we go into the music here, but uh, there's going to be a lot more on the other side of this uh, short break on Catholic Drive Time. Please stay tuned for more. Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and to create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate in plenty of time for you to get to confession before mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, Mr. Clement, this is Rudy Carlos. Uh, pleasure to speak with you. And just right before the break, we know we were we were setting up this question: Is there really a distinction between the spiritual and and the the psyche? You know, I want to I want to get your take on this question because you know, oftentimes uh, we we have this idea that oh, it's just a chemical imbalance and and that's it. There's no spiritual component to it, but in reality, it may be that there is. Is some sort of uh, spiritual harm that needs to be healed. What do you say? I think to address, you can address, cannot accurate, uh, accurate, effectively, excuse me, effectively address any defect in the psyche without addressing a spiritual uh, component. We are, in fact, spiritual beings. Um, we're mm. the composite, um, the flesh and spirit composite. And so, to address one without the other. And I think that it is not uh, effective. And I think we're seeing the realization of this in mental health, even among mental health professionals who may not be quote believers, they realize that spiritual, uh, the spiritual state and, and spiritual understanding and awareness is a part of the reality of their clients, but they're ill addressed to, to uh, they're ill equipped to address it. And so I don't think you can separate, and it's been our experience, you can't separate the spiritual from the physical. And the psyche is, is in many ways, the bridge by which we filter uh, spiritual realities and physical realities. It's, it's the disposition in many, for lack of a better term, um, it is part of the disposition that um, enables a person to comprehend reality, react, respond to reality. Um, and there are basic, the psychologists and mental health professionals try to use words like temperaments and dispositions and things like that to describe this interaction, but it all falls woefully short if you do not include a spiritual component. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess that is something that we should add to our toolbox, right? Whenever we are in spiritual combat, there is always... There's always two two errors, right? I guess the error one would be to overly materialize something and say that it's purely a chemical imbalance. I got to take drugs to fix my depression. And the other error might be to overly spiritualize it and say if I just pray enough rosaries, then I'm going to be uh, then all my uh, my depression and whatnot will go away. Uh, what's the balance there? So it's a really good question. It's a good point. And so St. Thomas, of course, goes to the virtues. If you have a, an issue, go to the virtues, see what virtues lack and cultivate that virtue and see how it impacts the other virtues. And so what you're describing is a lack of moderation. And so moderation is one of the daughter virtues of temperance. And this is how one actually rewires, if you will, accept the crude term, rewires the psyche, the personality is the pursuit of all virtue, but to particularly to find the predominant fault, to find the accompanying virtue that's missing or the vicious behavior that's being engaged in. And as St. Thomas says, stop the behavior and then begin to cultivate the virtue that's consistent 
um, with the defect. That's interesting. So uh, let's bring this very practical for people who are kind of uh, saying, okay, I kind of get what you're saying, but could you give me, can you kind of explain what you mean there? Can you give me an example of how that would, what that would look like? Yes. And so when St. Thomas describes the faculties of the human person properly ordered and in descending order, Intellect and will, those two faculties which comprise the rational quality reserved to the soul, they are incorporeal faculties and they reside um, in the soul, the intellect and the will. Then moving down, now we move into the flesh component, which is emotion, memory, um, appetites, desires, and then instinct. These are the lower faculties. The demon can be present in the lower faculties directly, but to the higher faculties, the rational quality, only by affecting the lower faculties. And so one of the things we hear in our society is, uh, and modernly is a, is a prime example of this, when someone bases their decisions not on what they think, but upon what they feel. And they are de facto insane, meaning disordered faculties of the human person in the psyche. As St. Thomas would say, uh, this is insanity because there's a disordering of the faculties and an elevation of a lower faculty over a higher faculty, the use of something that uh, reacts to um, flesh conditions, if you will. So for instance, if you're tired, if you're hungry, if you're sick, you don't make the, the quality decisions that you do if you are well rested um, and, and in a state of equilibrium, a state of recollection without fear, without these things that short circuit the ability to use the intellect and the will purely for the pursuit of good. Hmm. Okay, that's very interesting. The so let me see if I'm understanding correctly. The so the idea here is that your your lower faculties can be assessed or accessed rather uh, by the demonic. So you mentioned like for instance your memories. So does that mean that uh, so the demons can't read your thoughts, but they can access your memories. So they can use those and bring them to the forefront of your mind. But you're saying that the higher faculties do not do that. So our reason. And so practically speaking, what does that look like in terms of temptation? So with regard to temptation, the demon will always tempt you with something that, that has a lower faculty appeal, something that is pleasurable. And it's not that all pleasure is opposed to God. That's not it at all. God is the author of pleasure, but pleasure should be used correctly. And so you look for the moderation and the administration of the intellect and the will to moderate the pursuit of pleasure so that it is for the pursuit of the good. A, a classic example of this is the difference between the desire for procreation as, as part of pursuing God's blessing within the holy sacrament of matrimony and then uh, common lust uh, of disordered sexual attraction. Both of these operate off of the same pleasure paradigm. However, um, they operate very, very differently, as you can see. One um, operates almost totally in the lower faculties, and the, and the other operates in its initiation and in its impetus in the upper faculties, in, in the faculty of reason. Now, I was having a discussion with a friend uh, this uh, Saturday, and we were talking about kind of this issue of being able to t- – if you speak with the, your average person nowadays, there is a seemingly a lack of reason. If you lay out a logical argument, 
they will dismiss it or just their brain won't be able to comprehend the logical argument. So instead of attacking a premise or attacking the, the, the bridge from the premises to the conclusion, they will instead emote. They will create, they will have this emotivism. Is, is this kind of a, what, what's going on here? Well, that's a less, that observation is uh, illustrative or illustrative of the, the point that we're making here is that in a disordered society that's living in the lower faculties and everything is a result of emotional appeal or an emotional um, sorting criteria, if you will. Does this correspond to my emotional state? Does it abrade my emotional state? Does it correspond to my opinions, um, et cetera? Then what we find is, and your, your observation is exactly correct, St. Paul says that sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. And so this is a primary example. Number one, they don't recognize the superior argument. And number two, they can't order the will to yield to uh, the superior argument. So literally, they cannot hear you nor implement the superior argument. And this is uh, a result of habitual mortal sin and the habituation of the use of the lower faculties. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I notice that a lot is... I mean, it's kind of taboo to talk about in the 21st century, but before the last 80 years or so, this would have been normal to say that, yeah, I mean, your average atheist is an atheist because they want to commit sin. But nowadays, you say we kind of have this idea that, oh, if you're an atheist, you're actually a really intelligent person. And I think that's just a, a grave error. But I want to talk before I run out of time about power and authority. It seems as though today, because there's kind of a... It's kind of twofold. It's one, in one hand, people just want to go off of how they feel. But at the other hand, they want to go off of power and say, if the majority says, therefore, it must be true. Or if the person who is stronger and can enforce their authority, like, for instance, we see with a rule by riots, then therefore, that must be the right thing or the okay thing. Uh, so tell me, explain the difference between power and authority and how this relates. Well, a good example in the way that you just described it is uh, affirmation by consensus. This is a diabolical paradigm. Um, the concept of majority rules, this is a diabolical paradigm. Um, that's not majority rules and democracy are two very different things. Um, but the idea that majority rules, um, therefore, it must be the superior position. This is diabolical. Uh, meaning it separates us from God. In theocracy, the ruling, the, the rule of law is that which serves the good always and everywhere, that which serves the good, that which conforms society and individuals will to God's holy will, which is union, which is salvation. And so anything de facto that militates against that um, is, is in opposition, doesn't matter how many people you have on your side. Fulton Sheen had an excellent quote. He said, right is right even when no one is. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's also interesting to know how you say that it's diabolical because uh, it's kind of saying that we're going to usurp authority by power. And I think a lot of people today will conflate the two and say, if you have the power, then you must have the authority to do so, but that's simply not the case. And I guess the best example is the parents, right? If if a parent has the authority over the child, uh, does not necessarily it, it, it tends to mean that they have the power over the child as well. But 
any adult has power over a child, but they don't have the authority over it. Is that correct? Well, that that's a simplistic way to look at it. Here's a better way to look at it is power is the ability to affect change. Authority is the right based on moral obligation to do so. So those are two very, very different things. Someone may have authority, but no effective power because the other person does not subject themselves to the authority. Someone may have power, but no authority and may exert the power, such as a robber or uh, someone who assaults another. There's a demonstration of power of one human over another human, but there's no authority to do it. And so only when power and authority are rightly ordered and rightly used is th- does this convey or serve as a conveyance for grace and a conveyance for uh, objective relationship with God. Now, last question before we're out of time. And how does we how do we as trying to be good Catholics submit ourselves to the authority of Christ and un- be under his power? So um, his power and authority is that when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, so we, we lose lordship. Um, obedience is the prompt conformity of, of one's will to one's superior. So you look at the structures of Christ, the church, any exceptions to the uh, yoke of obedience have to be seen in light of morals and theology and doctrine. Anytime you're commanded to do something outside the scope of right authority, you're, you're bound to, uh, to resist uh, because your primary authority, and as you just stated, is to Christ. And so hopefully you find this mirrored in the church. Sometimes you do not. Classic example is... We are um, out of time. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no comment needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well, infectious. I converted uh, in my 20s to a uh, Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic Radio. I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic Radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. 
And it was an easy excuse. I, I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. It's always good to be here. Today, it's funny, during the break, uh, Rudy and I were talking talk about air, airlines. Airlines. Not even once. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a beginning of a, of a comedy piece. Some airlines, man. It just makes it not a joy to fly. You know it's bad whenever your airline, when they get in the intercom, they're like, um, please don't be rude to our staff. Uh, you won't be flying with us if you are uh, rude to our staff. Uh, thank you. We'll be throwing you off the airport now. Uh, and then you're thinking, well, that kind of makes me think that this airline probably does something to warrant that kind of reaction you know so i think that's very very interesting to see the fact that that uh <laughs> that happened to you really it's uh, yeah you know it happened to a lot of people <clears throat> they were going on the plane and this woman was asking them to measure uh their bag you know and she was taking the sixth satisfaction uh seeing these people obviously fail and then have to pay for their bags and uh, what was interesting is there was no consensus between the employees because this woman was taking sick satisfaction uh, and the other man who was working was annoyed with this woman. <laughs> so anyway, it was just one of those uh, experiences, you know, that made me think, what do you need the litany of humility for when you can just fly Frontier Airlines? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. There you go, folks. And if you want to be humiliated, <laughs> fly Frontier Airlines, apparently. Humility is good. For, it's good to be humiliated. You know, it uh, it helps you grow in your spiritual life, but uh, uh, maybe not on vacation. Maybe not on vacation. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, that simply, uh, simply happens a lot of the times when uh, you we kind of get in these situations there there's there people could be nicer they you could get better customer service but you know at the end of the day we kind of get the customer service we deserve true do we really deserve good customer service now obviously people should be nice but at the end of the day i mean i i'm like do i really deserve people to be nice to me probably not i'm i'm not a Really? Yeah. I don't think so. I think I think the bare minimum is if you're going to flip the iPad around to me, <laughs> like you have to be nice to me. Oh, imagine if stewardesses you know? started asking for tips. That would like, be hilarious. If they start bringing an iPad around, how much would you like to tip? Yeah, here's a tip. <laughs> <laughs> don't <laughs> eat yellow snow. <laughs> don't look directly in the sun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, well, nonetheless, nonetheless. Uh, as soon as Adam Bly joins us, we're going to be talking about 
angels. I want to talk about angels, considering we just passed the Feast of the Garden Angels. We passed the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel. And there are a lot of great things to talk about in regards to the angels. And one thing in particular that I hope to talk about is the idea of the archangels and what rank of angels are the archangels? Hmm. That sounds like an easy question, right? You're like, oh, well, obviously they're archangels, right? Sounds like a fear and trembling question. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Is it? Is it? Ah, we've had it before. Have we really? I think so. Huh. Where where on the hierarchy that the the uh, the archangels are? Yeah. Hmm. We've had that question before. Oh, it's a little bit of a different question. Ah, So okay. here's the difference. Hmm, here's the see. difference. The three archangels, according to some theologians, including it's it's more popular among the Franciscan tradition, the three archangels are seraphim. Oh, fascinating. Isn't that interesting? Huh. Isn't that interesting? And you're like, but they're called archangels. So wouldn't they be of the choir of archangels? You would think so. But according to Franciscan theologians, they say that the arch and archangel refers to like being a, a leader, being a hmm. high angel. And then so the, the three named angels the where the term archangel is being used more as a description, not as a rank. Whereas the rank of archangel is a different thing entirely. And I'm like, hmm, that's quite peculiar. It's something I would not have um not have considered. And it also creates a different theology of of the fall because according to more you know it's kind of hard to tell and that's kind of what i want to talk to adam about because the i'm not super familiar with it but if i'm not mistaken it is among the dominican theologians who would say that the archangels were in fact archangels and that the fall and the conquering of satan was God using the weak to destroy the strong because Lucifer would have been one of the highest ranking angels. Whereas the Franciscans would have said that they would have been on par with one another, that Michael would have been on par with Lucifer. And so it creates a different kind of theology there. And I think that's very interesting. It just kind of shows like sometimes some, there's some things in the church where there can be legitimate dispute and legitimate discussion. And uh, this is one of those things the church has never definitively said anything about the uh, the archangels in this way. So I think it's a very interesting uh, point of discussion. And if um, we're not able to have Adam on today, then uh, the next time that he's on, we'll be able to cover those things. Uh, but while we wait also, I also want to bring up the topic of the Holy Rosary. The Holy Rosary, the, the month of October, is dedicated to the Holy Rosary. And so I think that's something that we have to begin to say if we're not already saying we think about the great chastisement. I was talking to my friend, Father Martin, the other day, and he was saying, you know, Catholics today are not doing the things necessary to deserve a, a respite from the divine chastisement, from God's punishment. And I was saying, yeah, you're right, because Our Lady of Fatima appeared in 1917. And she told us to do prayer, penance, and for the Pope to consecrate Russia and to do the five first Saturdays. 
And everybody focuses on the consecration of Russia. And I mean, I've talked about the consecration of Russia many, many times. But how many of us don't pray the rosary every day? How many of us don't do the five first Saturdays? So if we're not doing those things, then how can we say that we deserve the promises of Fatima? So I would say today, let's begin to pray the rosary if you don't already. And if you already prayed the rosary, let me encourage you to do what Our Lady of Fatima asked and pray the 15 decades every single day if you can. The 15 decades of the rosary every single day if you can. Uh, that's what um, that's what St. Louis de Mumford encouraged people to do, encouraged them to do the 15 decades every single day. He said the five decades was what he called the children's rosary. Uh, yeah, I know, right? It's like, whew, if that's a children's rosary. Uh, anyway, but joining us right now is Adam Bly. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning, Adrian. How are you? I'm doing great. Praise be to God. I uh, was just talking about uh, the angels and the archangels, and I'm curious to know, Adam, about the question of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but I'm, I'm, I am assume you might be, He the question of what rank were the archangels, uh, because it was my understanding, and I could be wrong, so please correct me if I'm wrong, it is the Franciscan tradition that the archangels, the three named archangels, are of the rank seraphim, and it is the Dominican tradition that they are of the rank of archangel. Uh, what say you, Adam? Well, I have come across more conclusions that they're seraphim um, than the idea of archangel, and I, it, it seems the preponderance of the opinions is that they're seraphim. Certainly Michael... Uh, seems to be consistently noted as a seraphim. And that makes sense. Uh, you know, the war in heaven is described as Michael and his angels, him being in charge from the beginning. And if we, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's our mistake, our limited human thinking, but if we assume that the highest rank, the seraphim before the throne of God, um, you know, are the highest rank in the organization in terms of leading it, uh, it would make sense that that would be Michael. And then, of course, there's a reference, boy, Adrian, I don't don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but there is a scriptural reference to Michael being one of the seven angels that's before the throne of God. Mm. Um, so that's another way to interpret that the archangels are those seven, of which uh, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael are three. That's really interesting. Th- and then why is it that they're referred to as archangels? Well, arch just means leader. And so the taxonomy of angels, um, you know, there's different taxonomies. They settled on on the one in terms of the choirs. Um, They settled on one, but different church fathers came up with slightly different taxonomies. Mm. And and the word translated as archangel just means leader angel. And so it's, it's kind of our mistake of saying, taking it a little bit too literally, um, in his case, you know, some of these words, they get rendered into English with the same word, whereas, um, you know, there are subtle differences, particularly in Hebrew, uh, that the words are more complicated and they have multiple meanings. You know, every Hebrew letter has somewhere between five and seven possible meanings. And so each word can be rendered in multiple ways. And so sometimes we make a mistake in English of saying, well, it's literally only this. Whereas if we go, um, you know, back into the original languages, we see it's a little more nuanced and complicated. 
Now, we just passed the Feast of the Garden Angels yesterday, the Feast of St. Michael a week ago, and the uh, Feast of St. Raphael will be coming up at the end of the month. And so we're thinking a lot about the angels, and I'm always interested in the fact that it seems to us that the demons have way more influence over the world than the angels do, but that's not the case, is it? Right. So the thing we have to remember, you know, in general, Adrian, and, and this is a big struggle, I think, with our with the way we just our human nature, the way our minds work. We tend to give too much credit to the demons and we tend to kind of put them at the center of our thinking about the world and say, like, well, the world is troubled, so the devil seems to be in charge. And that's not the case. We need to, you know, we need to go back to scripture on this. And the book of Job is where it's really spelled out clearly that the devil needs to ask permission for any major activity that he does. And then it's up to God how much license he is given. So just like in the book of Job, you know, he's given a certain amount of time or resources. Um, you know, the famous possible vision that Pope Leo Thirteenth had where he may have had this vision of, you know, seeing the devil uh, approaching Jesus and saying, if I had a hundred years and, and the power, I could destroy your church. There's no actual evidence. Uh, Kevin Simmons' very good book on the St. Michael Prayer showed that, but it shows kind of uh, an echo of the book of Job in the church's mind about the devil, and that is he needs to ask permission. And so when we say the world is troubled and we get fearful, it's not that we need to be quaking and hiding in our house saying, oh, the devil seems to be in charge, you know, I'm going to go on the defense. It's no Whatever is being allowed is being allowed by God ultimately for good. Not that suffering is necessarily, you know, good or bad. God can bring good out of anything, but he allows trials and he allows in his justice the consequences of our choices. So you were just mentioning the lack of the praying of the rosary and other things that heaven has asked us to do. You know, instead of looking and saying like, oh, we need to fear the devil, he seems to be the boss. It's no, we need to look at our own lives, our own conversion, our own choices, and see what Jesus is allowing as a corrective experience for humanity. You know, we're turning away from religion. Uh, we're increasing abortions. We're not praying as much. We don't catechize the young. And so God in his justice is loosing more evil, hopefully so we wake up and turn back to him. That's the ultimate good that he's hoping we will realize as we turn to sin and turn away from God's law, that we will realize on our own, we end up destroying ourselves. So anyway, Adrian, I know that's a long-winded comment, but it's it's a real soapbox of mine. I, I think there's too much kind of fearful talk about the mm-hmm. demonic as, as if they're in charge of what they're doing. Amen. Amen. So pray the rosary because the rosary is the easiest and the greatest way to bind them. Think of it as a chain and Our Lady chaining down the rosary, chaining down the devil. But God bless you, Adam. Tune in Friday, Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central. God bless you. God love you, Adam. You too, Adrian. We're going to go into our Fear and Trembling game show. Call now, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. G.K. Chesterton says... You are free in our time to say that God does not exist. You are free to say that he exists and is evil. You are free to say 
that he would like to exist if he could. You may talk of God as a metaphor or a mystification. You may water him down with gallons of long words or boil him to rags of metaphysics. And it is not merely that nobody punishes, but nobody protests. But if you speak of God as a fact, as a thing like a tiger, as a reason for changing one's conduct, then the modern world will stop you somehow if it can. We are long past talking about whether an unbeliever should be punished for being irreverent. It is now thought irreverent to be a believer. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. You're crazy! Deep within, we struggle. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. Because sin separates us from God. She's got a relationship with George. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. You can call in right now and be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. How, you may ask? It's very simple. All you have to do is pick up the phone, dial 877-757-9424, and when you do so, you'll be entered into a chance to win. But how do you get entered into a chance to win? Well, right in front of me, I have three Catholic trivia questions, and the trick is I'm not going to ask you the question. No, instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the question, and Rudy's going to give me an answer. It's your job to tell me whether or not Rudy is right or whether or not he is wrong. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. I put together a very special prize pack this week. Uh, this is a couple of items I picked up from the Mother Cabrini Shrine in Colorado. I had the wonderful opportunity to go and visit the shrine. I also had the opportunity uh, to drink some of this miraculous water. Apparently, she struck her staff on... A place there in Colorado and a spring came forth just complete really clear super awesome water hashtag Moses moment now it didn't actually heal me so whether or not it's miraculous or not it was a miraculous act but I'm not sure it's miraculous water anyway what's included <laughs> in this prize pack is a sun catcher with a st. Francis Cabrini on it a car rosary a little placard here which is a little mini icon I'm gonna Hold it up here if you're watching us on our live stream. And also a little medal with St. Francis Cabrini. So it's going to be an interesting prize pack this week. And uh, St. Uh, Saint Cabrini, please pray for us. You know, St. Francis Cabrini is uh, my patroness. Really? Yes. Huh. Yeah, she um, – I was actually – uh, well, I'll tell people in the after show. Ah, I'll, I will use idea. it as a teaser. How am I? How is she my patroness? I will tell you in the after show. So make sure you do so. Uh, but 
That's super cool, Rudy. Thank you very much for sponsoring the game show this week. And no problem. you know, there are you know, there's so many stories of saints creating water, like uh, miraculously making water. It happened in uh, in Texas too, in um, in Tyler, Texas, actually. So, really? Yeah, Father Marhill, the eyes of Father Marhill. He had two springs that came out during the drought. Uh, huh. Story for another time. But joining us right now is Rhonda. Good morning to you, Rhonda. <laughs> good morning. It's good, good morning, to hear everyone. you. Yes, good good to hear you. Uh, I am a St. Francis Cabrini Catholic Church caller. Praise oh, be to God. Praise Great. be to God. Uh, we love to have our St. Francis Cabrini callers. You're our favorite. Um, always so joyful. I love hearing your voice, Rhonda. So true. Well, good. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. Well, Rhonda, you. you're a veteran. You, you brighten spirits as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope so. That's uh, that's good to hear. I appreciate that. Now, Rhonda, you are very familiar with the game. You know how to play. You have done it before. Uh, how do you are you yes. ready to uh, what's your strategy here? Um, I, I don't know. I don't I don't remember whether I trust Rudy more or less if he <laughs> looks to the left and then looks to the right first before answering a question. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> the official right. answer is you can trust me. The official answer is you can trust. All right. Let's see okay, about you that. started something, so. <laughs> okay, Rhonda. Praise be to God. We'd love to hear it. Now, Rhonda, I'm looking at the question. And I think I think you're gonna do good. I think you're gonna do great at this. Are you ready to play? Sure, sure, yes. All right, let's do it. Question number one for you, Rudy. Okay, I'm ready. Are you there? Now, now you're ready. I'm ready. Now, now you're ready. Okay, now I'm all right, really ready. All right, all right. Question go. number one. Who alone can use the altar? In the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, believe it or not, you know, it's not for everybody to use. I can't use it? No. No, you can't. Well, you could if you were a Franciscan. Oh. But if you're not a Franciscan, no, you're not allowed to. The reason that is, let me look to the left here. Oh. The reason that is, is because the Franciscans actually maintain that shrine. Oh. Yeah, so only Franciscans can only use Franciscans the can, yeah, Nobody else. Very jealously guarded. Wow. Sistine Chapel. That makes sense. That makes sense. Is it because the Franciscans painted? It's because Sistine the Franciscans Chapel. can avert their eyes from the sensuous, you know, oh. arts there. Because you know? St. Francis, he threw himself into the, you know, into a thorn bush. He can avert his eyes. He's got a lot of mastery, just like the Franciscans. That makes sense. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm following. I understand what you're saying. The question is, does Rhonda? Uh, Rhonda, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, who alone can use the altar in the Sistine Chapel? Rudy says, it's the Franciscans because, I mean, have you seen the Sistine Chapel? All those very lascivious uh, images. The Franciscans can avert their eyes. So only Franciscans can use the Sistine Chapel, what say you, Rhonda, from St. Francis Cabrini uh, in Houston, Texas? Oh, goodness. Um, uh, I tend to have a little bit of a poor head for study at some things. Um, I would have thought the Sistine Chapel, would have, it would have been just the Pope. <laughs> so, so you're going to uh, go I'm with no, say, then? Uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I, I agree with Rudy. Are you sure you are about that? Uh Okay, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Survey says 
Rhonda, Rhonda. you got to stick with your instincts oh, there. You, you got it. It's the Pope. It right the correct there. answer is the Pope. Oh my god, it is a Pope. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Just the Pope. <laughs> only, only the Pope. Only the Pope. But you see what he was oh doing god. there. Oh my god. The Pope. Oh my Franciscans. Goodness. Francis. Yeah, see what he's doing there. Mm. Yep. I yep. Just, oh, good. Uh, no, that, that's why I say sometimes I just don't get the joke. <laughs> that's okay, Rhonda. Praise be to God. You nailed it. You got it. You knew it. You're like, hmm, I'm pretty sure it's just a Pope. But you see your instincts. You got to trust them, Rhonda. Are you ready for question yes, number two? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I hope you've read your Bibles because this is a Bible question, Rudy. All right. The question is, what did the Jews use the 30 pieces of silver that Judas returned after betraying Jesus. Okay, so they used that money, those 30 pieces of silver, to purchase a field just completely ripe with clay. This is why they call it the potter's field, because back then they, they wanted to you know, create a lot more vessels made out of clay. And there was uh, just a few places in, in Jerusalem that you could actually find the clay to do so. So they bought a potter's field. Hmm. All right. A potter's field, you say. Mm -hmm. All right, Rhonda. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what did the Jews use the 30 pieces of silver that Judas returned after betraying Jesus? Rudy says it's a potter's field. What say you, Rhonda, from Houston, Texas? Uh, oh, goodness. I am really not sure. Uh, I'm going to say disagree. You're going to say disagree. All right. Let's see. Survey says. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> well I was being tricky there. Yeah. They bought I land. Field, but I thought it was something. I thought it was something else. I don't yes. remember reading in the Bible what they actually used the money for. So they they bought a potter's field. Now the potter's field is not a a place full of clay, but a yeah. place where they bury strangers, kind of right. like Boot Hill in uh, Arizona. They just bury strangers mm. there. So it's yeah. not actually a place for pottery. Yeah, that's kind of a mm. a tricky tricky question because tech. Technically, I'm going to sue you for defamation oh. if you keep saying tricky <laughs> and looking at me. You're looking at me and saying tricky. The uh, it, they did so we're going to give it to her because it was in fact a potter's field, but it was not used for pottery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're going to give it to you nonetheless. Okay. But yes, it was used to bury strangers. It was known as the field of blood because it was purchased with uh, the price of blood, oh. namely that of our Lord. Oh. So, oh, okay. Well, there you go. Okay. All right, Rhonda, are you ready for question number three? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right, here's question number three for you. Rudy? Adrian? Mr. Uh, it's a Rudy Tricky Carlos, right? That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's your name. Uh, I think it's right there in the birth certificate. The saint, this saint, was the fellow worker of St. Teresa and the reform of the order of Mount Carmel and wrote many treaties on mystical theology, who is this saint? That is a saint that I know very dear to my heart. I hold him very dear to my heart. Dude, I'm not a saint yet. Because of what happened last week. I was experiencing the dark night of the soul. Oh. 
Actually, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't anywhere clear. I wasn't. I'm not anywhere near the unitive way. Can confirm. Uh, I mean, you I can mean, confirm that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's Saint John of the Cross. And no, I don't think I've ever had uh, a Dark Knight of the Soul. Most people have not. <laughs> I I can confirm that uh, Rudy is not on the unitive way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rhonda, 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, the saint was the fellow worker of St. Teresa and the reform of the Order of Mount Carmel and wrote many treaties on mystical theology. Rudy says, it's St. John of the Cross. Uh, what say you, Rhonda, from Francis Cabrini Parish? Um, uh, this is just a, a guess. I'll say I agree. All right, let's see. The survey says... That is correct, Rhonda. Way to go. You got three for three. Praise be to God, Rhonda. How do you feel? Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Well, praise be to God. Did you learn something new today? Uh, Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, praise be to God, Rhonda. Oh, make sure you stay on the line so we can get your contact information should we draw your name out of the coffee cup of divine providence and so we can send you that prize. You can pray to St. Francis Cabrini that uh, we draw your name. But God bless you. God love you. Pray pray for us and we'll be praying for you. Yes, yes, we'll do, we'll do. All right, Rhonda, going to put you on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you want to join us in the after show where we talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about, make sure you join us on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble. You can join us there and interact with us directly. Uh, So make sure you do so. We'd love to have you. But if not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. God love you. And I'll see you very soon. And remember, Christ is risen. Truly, he is risen. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Tuesday of the 26th week of Ordinary Time. Today's Mass is being offered for all of our listeners on Guadalupe Radio Network and for all of our online viewers. All hail adored Trinity, all hail eternal unity. O God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit ever one, three persons praise we evermore one only god our hearts adore 
In thy sure mercy ever kind, may we our strong protection find. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Let us pray. O God, who manifest your almighty power, above all by pardoning and showing mercy, Bestow, we pray, your grace abundantly upon us, and make those hastening to attain your promises heirs to the treasures of heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, There shall yet be peoples, the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall approach those of another and come and say, Let us go to implore the favor of the Lord, and I too will go seek the Lord. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to implore the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, In those days... Ten men of every nationality, speaking different tongues, shall take hold. Yes, take hold of every Jew by the edge of his garment and say, Let us go with you, for you have heard that God is with you. The word of the Lord. Responsorial Psalm God is with us. God is with us. His foundation upon the holy mountains that Lord loves the gates of Zion more than any dwelling of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. God, God is, is with, with us. I tell of Egypt and Babylon among those that know the Lord of Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia. This man was born there, and of Zion they shall say, One and all were born in her and he who has established her is the Most High Lord. God, God is with us. They shall note when the peoples are enrolled, this man was born there, 
and all shall sing in their festive dance, My home is within you. God is with us. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days for Jesus to be taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there, but they would not welcome him because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. The Gospel of the Lord. Today's first reading and responsorial psalm we have placed before us the notion that God is with us, that he is present to us in our life, in particular in the book of the prophet Zechariah, who is writing around the time of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. He is prophesying about God's definitive presence, which is going to be in our life that will provide us with hope, encouragement, and consolation. Something every day of our life, in fact, we should always strive to remember God's presence throughout our day. Remember, sometimes some of the most beautiful prayers are very, very simple ones. And I remember once gathering for a grace before meals, and the prelate who ordained me, Cardinal Foley, kind of was saying an opening prayer, and he said very simply, let us remember the presence of God, and then silence. It really is so fundamental for us to remember that God is with us throughout our day. In everything we do, God is with us. And even if we forget and lose our mindfulness of God's presence with us, he is always there. But we also should ask ourselves, what do we expect of God's presence in our life? That kind of draws us into today's gospel. In the gospel of Luke, Jerusalem is kind of the focal point where Jesus is headed toward. In fact, Luke even goes so far that when Jesus begins his public ministry, he has him on a unidirectional journey going toward Jerusalem. He's really on a straight path going there, and the idea is that Jerusalem is where Jesus will culminate his mission. It is there where he will become the Paschal Lamb and lay himself bare on the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice for us, and therefore he is a man on a mission, literally. It's striking in today's gospel, we hear he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem. For the apostles, they were still trying to figure out what is Jesus' mission and what does God's presence in our life really mean. 
And today, in fact, we hear that as they stop in a Samaritan village and Jesus' presence is not exactly welcomed, well, James and John are enraged and they say, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? Kind of a very human reaction. This didn't go the way we think it should have gone and now, Lord, let's make them pay the price for not welcoming you as they should. But Jesus' message, of course, is going to be he's not coming to dominate He's not coming to claim power over people according to earthly modalities, but rather he's coming to be precisely rejected and to give himself up as an offering to us, for us. And I think for us that reminds us God's presence in our life, it is not to be a guarantee that everything is going to go perfectly according to the measure that we think perfect is. We're not always going to win and have those little victories that we always hunger and strive for. Our favorite team may not always win the game that we want them to win. But rather, his presence in our life is to give us the certainty and the security to say, I am your father and I'm leading you toward your salvation. I bet you not many of us or probably not many parents go to their children's sports games and say, Lord, let their team be demolished today so they can learn the lesson of humility and detachment from unnecessary pleasures in this world. Or when I go out driving on the highway in my little Honda Civic, I'm not thinking, Lord, please let five pickup trucks and SUVs cut me off today without signaling so that I can learn patience and fraternal charity. It's not the way we want things to go. It's not the way we imagine them to go. But many times those are precisely the lessons that we really need to learn in life. To say, Lord, it isn't in winning according to human modalities, but it is learning to give of ourselves completely. It's learning to voluntarily and willingly suffer and offer our sufferings with Christ on the cross. It's willing to grow in patience, in humility, in detachment from earthly things. These are the important lessons in life that God wants to teach us, to lead us to our salvation. And his presence in our life that we are conscious of, it constantly reminds us that God is the one who is in charge. And our modality of what we think perfect is and of how we think our day should go, it is nowhere near as important as what God wants to offer us and give us each day. And if we believe and trust in his presence, then we also then understand and believe what happens in my life is a gift from God who is leading me toward salvation. And so my brothers and sisters, today as we go forward, let us ask God for the grace that we would always be mindful of his presence. That as we shift from activity to activity, that we would always mark ourselves and root ourselves that God is with us. And let us ask for the grace that we would always accept the experiences of our life is coming from God to know that our Lord is leading us toward our salvation. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters gathered as one to celebrate the good things we have received from our God, let us ask him to prompt in us prayers that are worthy of his hearing. For Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy, with the people entrusted to their charge, let us pray to the Lord. For those who hold public office and those who assist them in promoting the common good, let us pray to the Lord. 
For those who travel by sea, land, or air, for captives and all held in prison, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all of us gathered in this sacred place by faith and devotion, and by love and reverence for God, and for all those joining us online and radio, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. May the petitions of your church be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, so that we may receive from your mercy what we cannot ask out of confidence in our own merits through Christ our, our Lord. Amen. O worship the King, all glorious above, O gratefully sing his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. O tell of his might, O sing of his grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space, his chariots of wrath, the deep thunder clouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. The earth with its door of wonders untold, Almighty thy power hath found it of old, established it fast by a changeless decree, and round it has cast like a mantle the sea. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Grant us, O merciful God, that this our offering may find acceptance with you, and that through it the wellspring of all blessing may be laid open before us, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. <clears throat> it is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for just as through your beloved Son you created the human race, so also through him with great goodness you formed it anew. And so it is right that all your creatures serve you, all the redeemed praise you, and all your saints with one heart bless you. Therefore, we too extol you with all the angels, as in joyful celebration we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisun Celi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Osana in Excelsis, 
Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim, by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the Order of Bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you, in your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who were pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours 
forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus indicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuor nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicud et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pa. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
soul of my Savior, sanctify my breast, body of Jesus, be my saving guest. Blood of my Savior, bathe me in thy tide. Wash me, O waters, gushing from his side. Strength and protection, may his passion be. O blessed Jesus, hear and answer me. Deep in thy wounds, Lord, hide me, hide and shelter me. So shall I never, never part from thee. Guard and defend me from the foe malign. In life's last moments, make me only thine. Call me and bid me come to thee on high. When I may praise thee with thy saints for I. Let us pray. May this heavenly mystery, O Lord, restore us in mind and body, that we may be co-heirs in glory with Christ, to whose suffering we are united whenever we proclaim his death, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, Saint Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy that Thy peace always, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.